Shalom, ladies and gentlemen. I am John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, and along here with my co-host, Judah Mango of the blog, Kineti Letzion, we would like to welcome you to this episode of the Messianic Walk. Yeah, welcome, folks. And like John said, I'm Judah from the Kineti blog, and I also run Chava Messianic Radio. Today, we are discussing the Baby Boomers Messianic Movement. Now, who are the Baby Boomers? Frequently, the Baby Boomers are classified as the generation that was born in the early to mid-1950s, immediately after the greatest generation, the World Mm -hmm. War II generation. Uh, My parents are definitely Baby Boomers. Judah's parents are baby boomers, and the baby boomers had to deal with a lot of the controversies of the sexual revolution of the Mm -hmm. 1960s. They had to deal with the Cold War. They had to deal with things like the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., Mm. uh, the assassination of JFK, uh, a lot of these things. Upheaval. And they also had to deal with the... uh, technology revolution and the personal computer and the beginnings of the information age, things that Mm -hmm. my late father was involved with back in the mid to late 1980s. Yeah. Yeah. The baby boomers helped to really found the modern messianic movement. And yes, as a lot of us know, many of them were hippies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, some leadership in the Messianic movement, former hippies who kind of came out of that. Yeah, right. But now uh, the baby boomers are hitting senior citizenhood. They're they're in their late 60s, their early mm-hmm. 70s. And while we all positively benefit from the baby boomer generation and the Messianic movement that they created, There are challenges as we see more and more people from the millennial generation uh, taking up or perhaps not taking up positions of leadership and influence in our faith community. And there are ways of doing things conditioned to spiritual circumstances of the 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s that are different from the spiritual circumstances of the 2000 aughts and 2010s and now the 2020s. And and I know that there are good things that the baby boomers have done that we truly benefit from, resources like the complete Jewish Bible, uh, a lot of the significant uh, theological tools that we take advantage of in the Messianic world, hearing some of the stories of the Messianic Jewish pioneers, but now, uh, because a lot of them are retiring or sadly passing away, uh, what are some of the things that we, Judah and I, and others as millennials need to be continuing on, but also what are some of the things that we need to fix? Uh, Whether we like it or not, there are persons who bear last names such as Chernoff or Lieberman or Juster or Wooten or Haig or Michael or a number of others uh, I could list off who gave us this messianic experience that we have to maneuver around. And, you know, there are things that people with those last names did that are very, very good. And then there's some things that 
others did that were not so good. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, when I have, you know, found myself having to address some of these controversies that unfortunately divide us, uh, sometimes I have to say, you know, some of the people who preceded us, they didn't think long term. They were only thinking about their immediate Mm-hmm. you know, circumstances, they were very much cause and effect. And sooner or later, there is going to be some kind of reckoning that happens as we have to shift more toward modern and postmodern issues, and it's not going to be easy. So those are just a number of my observations. I know that as we have these, as we have this discussion, uh, we want to do our best to respect those who have preceded us, yeah, but we, we, but we also want to, uh, make the appropriate corrections for our future. Yeah. I know many times, John, you've mentioned in previous podcasts that, you know, we're, we're dealing with a first generation movement. And so a lot of the issues we deal with are that first generation. Um, the messianic movement really birthed, I would say in the sixties and seventies alongside the Jesus movement. Um, as you just mentioned, they've had to deal with uh, a great many issues that are, perhaps specific to or or major for um, that first generation. And now that we're getting past that generation, we do have to tackle some of these challenges. Um, I don't want to belittle, as as you you also said there, John, uh, we're not trying to trash the baby boomer um, generation by any means or their contribution to the movement. We're just recognizing there are some things that have been left unaddressed or perhaps addressed but poorly so um and that's it it falls on the next generation to navigate those issues and perhaps um take a stab at solving these in a better way the generation before us john i think for both of our parents um uh they 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 had to take a, a, a big leap i know with like your dad you've talked in the past how um he he started out by doing you know things like passover Christ in the Passover in churches, and that kind of led your family into this path of rediscovering the the roots of Christianity, um, and eventually into the broader messianic movement. Um, my parents, it was it was the same too. My parents had to leave um, the Catholic Church. Both my mom and dad were raised in the Catholic Church, and um, it took a great deal of what I see as a move of God to to pull them out of some some errors in in that world. Um, and into something a little more faithful to the Bible and faithful to, I think, uh, the, the faith of the disciples. And that is the Messianic movement. Um, so I, I, I say all that to say um, they've done a great deal of good, um, and they've, they've made leaps that many people have been unwilling to make. Um, I think it takes a great deal to kind of change what you've inherited and and, and, and say, hey, there were errors here, and we need to, we need to um, correct course. And that's what our parents did. And, and I think now that um, we've inherited this messianic movement that our parents and their generation have helped shaped, um, now we need to, to continue that and say, where, what course corrections do we need? Where, where are some errors in our movement today? And so that's what John and I want to talk about on the podcast today. Um, we want to first take inventory of today's messianic movement. So any other, we wanted to start there. Any other thoughts before we, we kind of look and see what are some of the challenges uh, that we've inherited from the baby boomers messianic movement? I know that as, because 
it's hard for me to believe that I have been in the Messiaic movement now for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And I, I do remember my previous evangelical experience and Mm -hmm. yeah, that previous evangelical experience had its limitations for certain of, you know, we were in uh, the United Methodist church and we were fighting a lot of liberalism and a lot of progressivism, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the gay agenda, even back in the 1980s. But I also do remember uh, going to my father's Sunday school class quite frequently, especially if our Sunday school teacher didn't show up. Um, And I remember a lot of the topics that he would discuss. And they are still topics that many people in today's Messianic community don't want to touch. They don't Mm. want to discuss them. And yet this was back in the late 1980s. And so... I know that's been hitting me, you know, very hard, especially as I'm approaching 41 and my father died at 41. So these are some mm-hmm. things that you just, you know, naturally think about and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, we've got to start raising the awareness of different matters uh, right. because what what is the future going to uh, throw at us that we just simply can't predict? And uh, if there are different issues and uh I know we both have them written down in our notes mm-hmm. that that we just cannot handle very well. Are we going to be equipped as as well as we should be for our messianic future? And you know, a big part of the messianic movement is declaring the good news of Israel's Messiah to the Jewish community. Yes. But if if our missiology is is geared toward these hyper orthodox Jews who won't even say hello to you. Mm. Um, rather than the 90% or more of the relatively non-religious Jewish community. Uh, I mean, that's, that, that's a huge issue that, that I know that we need to definitely be considering. That's right. So um, you've, you've touched on a few things there, John. Um, just kind of taking stock, the big picture, thousand-foot view here of the Messianic movement and some of the challenges um, that, that need to be addressed um, Let's talk about some of those. I know before the show, we've, we've touched on some of the fundamentalism um, present in our movement um, that has had some negative side effects. Um, maybe you could expand on that a bit. And if you have other issues that you see, again, from a high level view that need to be addressed. I think more than anything else, what we need to see is a shift in our collective messianic culture. I know that one of the big things that many of us admire about Judaism and about the Jewish experience is that, well, any question can be asked. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is admirable about historical Protestantism is that, well, we don't need the Pope in order to tell us what to believe. God Mm -hmm. has given us uh, reason. He's given us brains. He's given us the ability to read from the Holy Scriptures. So why don't we do this? Uh, And similarly, we can investigate issues uh, and we can find some kind of a resolution. I do not see that religious culture practiced as much in the contemporary uh, messianic movement as it really should be. In what aspect? The, is it that first one about asking any question, you know, no questions and, out of bounds? And I recognize that there are some things that we can't just go off and ask. There is a time and a place to discuss mm. certain matters, and there's a time okay. and a place 
not to discuss certain matters. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I I do know, especially that, you know, we, we don't uh, exhibit a lot of patience sometimes with, with, with various controversies. We don't Mm -hmm. exhibit Mm -hmm. a sufficient amount of attention to detail. Mm. We, yeah, we, we, we can, we have a tendency to, overreact sometimes and we have a tendency to not uh, collect as as not as much information as we should before uh, deciding on something we don't deal with interesting uh we don't handle details very well yeah i saw you recently posted on your your facebook page a meme about if we I don't know, we're too simplistic. And then we reach these conclusions without digging into the detail and a a great deal is lost when we do that. Right. And and I know that so many of the controversies that we face are because we don't troubleshoot issues that well, sometimes, Mm, you know, we're so mm. concerned about losing people from our congregations. We're, we're concerned about losing support or we're concerned about what other people say. We, We can't pause and say, no, wait a second let's, you know, think through this. Let's see how these different interpretations might play out. Uh, Have we missed something in terms of an original language word or some ancient background or a particular perspective? I mean, these are the kinds Mm. of things that I just, at least in my experience, I don't see the Messianic world handling very well sometimes. Is that because of our I don't know, being prone to fundamentalism. I think a lot of people have come out of um, a place of fundamentalism, oftentimes in various evangelical circles. And it seems to me that that fundamentalist thinking leads us to quick answers without considering nuance. Do you see the same or is there another cause to this? Uh, I agree. One of the, but, but one of the things I've been trying to probe and, 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 try to understand is, you know, where did some of the fundamentalist influence in our movement come from? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think some of it actually comes from how, um, you know, for for example, uh, way back in the 1970s, you know, Messianic Judaism needed, you know, Christian support, Christian, and and I don't necessarily mean financial support, but, you know, Christian people who would support them, pray for them, stand with them. And -hmm. really the only groups that they could find were more on the, you know, far right end of the spectrum, particularly among a lot of dispensationalists. Uh, And the reason was more than anything else is, well, dispensationalists aside from some of their issues with the rapture and all that, they didn't believe God was finished with Israel or the Jewish people. They supported mm -hmm. Jewish repatriation to the Holy land. They supported you know, the basic tenet of Zionism, the Jewish people need a homeland. And yes. that was where a lot of the early Christian support, actually, it's still to this day, some of the main Christian support for the Messianic movement is found. Yeah. yeah. And so even though, okay, when it comes to support of Israel, that's good. When it comes to various other issues, some of the contemporary debates we're facing today, it has not been as good. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, at the at the 2020 IMCS Rabbis Conference, I had I got to sit next to Rachel Wolf at one of the dinners, and sure. Rachel Wolf in the book, uh, what is it, Introduction to Messianic Judaism, edited by David Rudolph, she wrote the chapter on women in Messianic Judaism, and you know she was raised in a progressive Jewish home in Philadelphia. 
She's now Rabitzin in Cincinnati with her husband, Michael Wolf. And she did not understand why the Messianic Jewish movement adopted highly conservative to patriarchal views of women from Christianity when we are a Jewish movement and women should be much more included in the leadership and decision-making process of the Messianic Jewish movement. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know what I think? I think that some of the early Messianic Jewish pioneers got influenced by more of these conservative dispensational style complementarian sectors of the church because they supported Israel. And if they had been influenced by more of the Wesleyan tradition where I come from or some of these other traditions, maybe we wouldn't see things like this manifesting, or maybe we'd have more of a, of an ability to discuss these kinds of issues. Uh, I think theologically that is what at least I see. Yeah. Might it also come from this idea that I don't think is based in reality, uh, not, not, not very much anyway, of the messianic movement being an attractive option to Orthodox Jews. It seems like there's a lot of folks who fancy the messianic movement as, oh, we could be Orthodox only believing in Yeshua. Um, might some of that same patriarchal thinking and fundamentalist thinking also come from that sector as well? I, I think that I think that way too much of our missiology is focused on these fantasy orthodox who will never show up at your congregation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been involved in congregational debates where during the ONEC, of course, we're not really having ONEC anymore because of COVID-19 issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before all of that, uh, yes. when we were having ONEG, uh, there was, you know, there and there was an own egg lunch, and uh, the table was parved. So, if you wanted your fish allotment, your salmon allotment, this is where you went to have, you know, and the reason why there was no, for example, chicken or beef products was mainly because, well, what if an Orthodox Jew shows up? Mm-hmm. And now a few of us were like, hey, it's a free lunch, you know. I can skip a greasy burger and fries today. You know, sure. I'm going to have fish. I need my omega threes. You know I mean? We would say things like that, but then after a while, in particular, um, a Messianic Jewish friend of mine uh, from New York who moved down here to Texas, uh, we were, we all go to the Messiah conference in Pennsylvania together. And mm-hmm. we would just naturally say, look, why don't we make our own egg to have parody with what is being served in the cafeteria here? You know, mm-hmm. which is kosher style. This is what pretty sure. much everybody in, you know, non-Orthodox, Messianic, you know, no pork, no shellfish. Yep. Um, and kosher is, is irrelevant to most Jews. So what does it mm-hmm. matter? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we fought tooth and nail. You know, we just want parody with what is served here. And yes. finally, it was like, okay, well, you can bring chicken. And then someone said, well, I brought turkey. Is that a problem? Um, and it was just this fight. You know, it's like these Orthodox yeah. will never show up anyway. Our congregation yeah. is meeting at a church for one right. thing. Right. Yeah. You know, we've got to hide crosses. We've got to hide, you know, pictures of Jesus. You know, it's just we've, <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got to do some of these things. And, and it's like because the missiology of the movement is based on where all these Orthodox are going to come into our we miss out on some of the really important discussions that actually face 90% or more of the Jewish community. Uh, when I've had Messianic Jewish friends of mine say, hey, you know, there's, you're coming to our son's graduation, our daughter's graduation. We've got our relatives from the Northeast. They're flying in. Mm-hmm. They're coming in from South Florida. Please do not discuss God, religion, or politics. Do not. Um, 
you know, talk about your barbecue, John, talk about this, talk about that, anything but religion or politics. Um, And it's because um, these people don't even know if there's a God or Mm. the Bible. Mm. They're just stories, just stories. Mm. That's how many look at it. Yeah. Okay. Um, So it seems like, as you said, our our missiology is maybe directed wrongly at at this idea that we could attract a great deal of Orthodox Jews, when in fact the reality is here in the United States and really outside of Israel in general, the great many uh, Jewish people are either non-religious or nominally so maybe reform or maybe they'll they'll celebrate passover and 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 yom kippur um they'll observe but aside from that they're not particularly religious so it seems to me that that is a bigger fertile ground for the gospel um for the lord to change people's lives um people who are really unengaged i think there are there are some orthodox but as as you mentioned it's it's very small we had an orthodox gentleman um, speak at our congregation. We invited him to. He understood that we were believers in Yeshua, um, and he was still willing to speak to us um, because I think he wanted to raise money for his charity, which was a good work anyway. But um, <laughs> when it came to the oneg, he just skipped the oneg because he wasn't going to eat from you know, he, like what is he going to do? Oh, do you do you separate your meat and milk? He wasn't going to do all that. He was just like, no, I just won't eat oneg, and that was that was fine. So. Yeah, I think I think um, sometimes our, our thinking there is just not based in reality. The reality of the fact that so many Jews today are are not Orthodox; they're largely non-religious. Right, and I know that you know. And mind you, everyone is different. You know, my experience, mm-hmm. our my family's experience is different than yours, and the people mm-hmm. watching or listening to this, their experience yeah. is different. Yeah. But you know, our family does come from a ministry background. You know, my father was a mm-hmm. was a lay minister. He was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, we have ministers in our family. You know, we've been involved in the warp and woof of you know certainly evangelical ministry before coming into the Messianic community, where there is a certain you know level of of professionalism. There's a certain expectation. You know, when you go to certain issues, uh, you don't just push them aside or or avoid them. Yeah. Um, and and so because of that, you know, we've had to weather different controversies a little differently than some other people have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've kind of been you know, it's been a fight sometimes when certain things have hit. Uh, one of the big things that I know hit uh, and it's resurgent again now uh, it hit back in 2008 was this whole polygamy crisis. And mm-hmm. that's right. And, yes. and actually, our family almost left the whole deal because of this issue. Wow, it was we were, that big. We were uh, like, okay, uh, you know, yes, we need to talk about the issue of polygamy. It is in the Bible, but you know, you know, our two daughters don't want to go to a messianic conference where you have these, you know, dirty old men in their sixties who are looking for their second and third wives. I mean, that's right. that's what that's what came up as a result of the whole polygamy scandal. That's right. You know, yeah, my, you know, my two sisters were like, well, wait a second. You know, I understand this is an issue in the Bible. We should address it, but I don't want to go to one of these big conferences and see men looking at me uh, and they think that they can because I could be their second wife, their third wife, and I just have to. I mean, they. they and so, because of that, yeah. um, if if we didn't address this issue and, and then begin to talk about some of the other related things to it, we're ready to say, hey. 
maybe the messianic movement's the end time move of God, but we're not in the end times yet. So it's going to have to sort wow. it out before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can still be saved and keep the moral law, of the old Testament, like mm-hmm. many generations of our forebear. I mean, we were yeah. at that point You're back that in close. 2008. Wow. wow. Yeah. And I, I've often felt that uh, a similar feeling um, seeing some of the craziness, not specifically polygamy, although that has certainly contributed it, uh, to it where um it's like, man, I've got a family. Do I want to take my kids to a place where they're flat earth nut jobs? It's like, right. I, I have to literally ask myself that question. So, yeah. Um, so we certainly have a, a lot of problems. Uh, John, I wanted to, to kind of keep things moving along here. Um, I wanted to give just a few th- of my thoughts about kind of the thousand foot view of challenges to uh, the, the movement as it stands today. Uh, and then get into maybe some specifics of fundamentalism. I know we've talked about some of the things that come out of that, including polygamy, um, that can come out of it. Um, so we'll, we'll dig into specifics there. Um, my thought about what, what are some of the difficulties that characterize today's messianic movement, the movement that the boomer generation has handed to us, um, one I see is, yeah, fundamental fundamentalism. Um, I, I see that pop up in a few different areas. One is certainly the handling of Genesis. I feel people are very, very rigid around that, where if you have any view except a literal, you know, seven-day or six-day creation um, that was... The young earth view for those... Yeah, who- the, young, the young earth view, it, you know, in, in six literal days, some, sometime between 10,000 to 6,000 years ago, um, God created there. If you deviate from that at all, um, it, you're, you're almost seen as a heretic. And I, I think that needs to change. Um, I understand why some people are scared of that. They feel we're going down a path that leads to um, maybe theistic evolution or perhaps all the way towards just atheism. Um, I understand why some people are scared, but I don't think it necessarily needs to lead in that direction. So that's one big area is fundamentalism. Again, we're going to get into specifics of that in just a moment. I see a lack of critical thinking. Um, And again, maybe this isn't everywhere, (laughs) but man, it seems like it's a lot of places where people, I don't know, don't, don't, uh, I don't know how to say it. They don't think deeply about issues. They kind of take a surface level approach and then get really rigid from that surface level approach and they feel that any questioning of that, any critique of that, any critical thinking around that doctrine, that theology, that viewpoint, maybe it's not even theological, maybe it's just like tangential, um, that any, any critique of that is, is um, treated with almost contempt, like there's, oh, you're not allowed to question that here. It's like, whoa, hold on a second. Um, so that lack of critical thinking, I think, presents a problem. And that the fruit of that is bad. I've seen just so much bad fruit come up from people um, just not having critical thinking. Um, a, another, and this is related to that one, is distrust of all authority. That could be authority at your congregation. It could be authority in matters of expertise. No one's an expert. And all that, all that leads to is, all we like sheep have have turned astray following our own way. Like everyone, if no one's an expert, then everyone's an expert. And that could be, everyone's a teacher. That doesn't actually work in practice. You know, it's like we've thrown out all authority. And I, I, I think I know why. I think one of the reasons for that is many people in the messianic movement have come either out of the church 
primarily some out of um, the synagogue, but primarily the church. And a lot of those folks feel like the church has lied to them. And so they say, hey, that authority that I had in the church was was garbage. They, you know, I've been sold lies uh, from, from our, you know, our fathers handed down to us lies, that sort of thing. And so that they take that view into the messianic movement and it, they just distrust all teachers. They distrust all authorities in, in their local congregation. I can't tell you how many times in our congregation people would come to us. We would give, we would try to advise them, but they would discard our advice, uh, our godly wisdom, the best we knew how our prayerful advice, just because they rejected all authority, including the authority at their congregation. So those are some of the problems that I see. Um, I'll, I'll add one more here. I've got a bunch, but um, <laughs> I want to move on. I think people are, and this builds off of fundamentalism, people are very, very, very quick to divide and divide over minor issues. I understand dividing right. over major issues. If some person said, hey, um, Yeshua is Messiah, but not God. Well, look, that's that's a big, that, that would be a big issue that might be worth dividing over because then it either leads to apostasy or, or perhaps idolatry in the other direction. Like it can go either way. So I understand on big issues, but on smaller issues, I've had people leave my congregation and tell me I'm going to start my own congregation where I can teach flat earth. I'm like, are you insane? Um, I, I don't know what else to say to s- such folks. I, I didn't say that, but man, that's what I was thinking. So I, I think our, 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 our quickness to divide, it leads to a, the opposite of that big tent messianic movement, John, that you have often spoke of, like, Hey, in, in, in the Jewish world, there is this idea that it's a big tent and that we need to tolerate one another's differences on a lot of these minor issues. We need that in the messianic movement because we don't, we're too quick to divide. It's not a big tent. Instead, we're just lots of tiny tents off our, on our own fiefdoms. We have our own little kingdoms. Um, and I think it hurts, um, the power of the gospel. I think it hurts the movement in general, the fact that we're just so divided. So those are some of the problems that I see inherited from the boomer messianic movement. Anything to add to that, John, before we get into fundamentalism? Right. I would, I would have to say this, you know, why, and okay, on one level, yes, in the last days, the nations are supposed to come streaming to Zion to be taught mm-hmm. for Moses' teaching. All right. That's yes. why you see a lot of non-Jewish people in the Messianic community. Yeah. Okay. So pretty okay, God, but at that's the from same the time, But at the same time, why yeah. do we not see more Jewish people in the Messianic movement? Yes. And, mm-hmm. and the reason is, is very simple, but it's very complicated. We don't okay. deal at all with the issues that matter to Jewish people. Mm-hmm. We won't touch them at all because mm-hmm. really what those issues are, they are some of the issues of modernity and post-modernity in a mm-hmm. very high concentration. So, mm-hmm. you know, like two thirds of my family is liberal Protestant and all paths lead to God and all this. And, I see. you know, the Bible's a nice story and, you know, we prefer the Christian way of, of, of approaching God and it's similar to the Jewish way. Mm-hmm. But you know, do you ever hear that talk, that kind of stuff talked about in the Messianic world? Of course not. You know, how do we yeah. approach these people? How do we be relevant to them? What are some of their, you know, questions about the Bible? Uh, you know, they, okay. you know, how do we... How, how do we not unnecessarily push away 
people who, and I said unnecessarily push away, yeah. people mm-hmm. who think that the Bible is just fairy tales. Why can't we yeah. address mm-hmm. some of these matters? Yeah. And okay. if I can okay. use my own family members as a point, my extended family yeah. members as a point of reference, it's like, yeah. well, those in the Jewish community are at even higher concentration, where it's just, um, as, as Trevor Rubenstein told me once, uh, he said that, you know, the uh, Reform Synagogue is the Democratic Party with Jewish holidays. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. I like Trevor. He's a good guy. And, wow, that's that's great. Okay, and it's like, well, okay, uh, you know, how do how do we relate to those kinds of people? Because they are everywhere. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they are. Um, those are the Jewish people who you are going to be interacting with in your community. And not how are we going to relate to them? Yeah. yeah. And, and if, you know, if I have challenges relating to my own extended family, liberal Protestant, then what about the Jewish community? So, uh, yeah. you know, these are not easy questions. Yeah, yeah, indeed. You know, if you read some of the remarks in a resource like the Jewish Study Bible, and that makes you upset, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, right now, you know, the, 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 um, the annual Torah cycle, we're going through the book of Leviticus, and you read about, well, P says this, and P says that, and uh, and, and you're like, okay, well, what do I do with this priestly writer? What's that? If you mm-hmm. can't reckon with that, and the JDP matter that has been around since the late 18th century, mm-hmm. and how it affected Protestantism and then Judaism, then, then our future is not going to be a great one. I mean, we've got to be able to to grow up, suck it up, and 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 deal with the fact that we live in a very uh, we live in a, in a in a world that is very hostile to this book. I mean, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It's very hostile to to the holy scriptures, That's and true, man. and it it will criticize us because of our beliefs in the scriptures. And there are yeah. other people who have interpretations of the scriptures that if we just act like they don't exist or we'll just say ah that's liberal then then we will not be equipped to accomplish the mission as well as we ought because this is not an issue to me it's not an issue of um you know well are you saying that we need to uh, you know water down the bible no what i'm saying is we have to reckon with people who have different points of view and they need salvation Mm-hmm. And it, what, and, is, what does that look like, John? I, we're going, I, I, this question is a little off the path, but what does it mean to reckon with people who have different views, like the JDP hypothesis of right. proposition of the Torah? What, what does that look like? In a, I mean, are we talking in congregations it needs to be addressed? Or does it mean like lay people need to be aware of this? And I and think it's why, a little... I think it's all of the above, but I think more than anything mm-hmm. else, and, and actually the Genesis 1 through 11 issues, that's going to become more and more of an issue in the future uh, if it isn't already mm-hmm. one now. Because, mm-hmm. I know, because I know that, because uh, I've been to congregations where the leadership says, hey, you know, we adhere to the young earth view, 624 hour day, 6,000 years ago, and if you have any other point of view, keep your views to yourself. Mm-hmm. And and yet that is something that can be discussed openly in a plurality at many churches, at many synagogues. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly more and more young people are saying, this is crazy. I mean, anybody, I mean, I, I've encountered young people who said, anybody who thinks that the universe is 6,000 years old is mentally insane. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and are you just going to push those people out or are you going to engage with them and talk to them? And well, well how'd you come to this conclusion? You're just following yeah. your friends, you're just following your science teacher, or, mm-hmm. you know, is this a conclusion you came to in astronomy class? And mm-hmm. what, do, what mm-hmm. do we need to know about this? Uh, and I just don't see that kind of engagement really. I mean, I see it with some people, but, but I really don't. Agreed. I think our, our approach thus far to some of these issues have been to put fingers in our ears and just say, we're tuning out all other voices. The problem with that, as you point out, is for a lot of young people, <clears throat> that's not a sufficient answer. Um, there was a young gentleman, uh, still friends with him uh, at my congregation, who uh, he was kind of really, really interested in messianic things, but he was very turned off by young earth creationism. He ended up for a short time, I want to say like six months, having a crisis of faith. He felt he might be an atheist. He ended up coming back to faith, and I asked him about it, and um, and I said, yeah, you know, tell me how you're feeling. What are you thinking now? And he's like, well, I just think um, the people who, who believe the young earth creation stuff, they're not engaging with astronomy, geology. They're not engaging with science. Um, and, and they're kind of putting their fingers in their ears. And he goes, but I've, I, I'm able to say, I'm able to put that aside and still believe in God. It's just that um, not in the same way they do. So, yeah, I guess the bottom line, what I'm trying to get across there is for a lot of young people, that is a stumbling block. And I think our current way of not addressing it at all or pretending it doesn't exist, just not talking about it in our congregations, probably isn't sustainable for the next generation. No, no, it isn't. And I, I there is a while I while I'm aware that many of the baby boomers, you know, they were raised on the the teachings of say the Institute for creation research, that's Henry sure. Morris. And then mm-hmm. later answers in Genesis. Sure. Uh, I do know that, that it's not uniform in the Messianic community at all, even among the baby boomers. Uh, yeah. When our, yeah. uh, when my parents and I went to the Messianic leadership Roundtable in November of 2019, we had Michael Wolf come up to us kind of sheepishly and say, you know, I'm really, I'm really sorry that a lot of leaders here, they believe in young earth. I mean, uh, you know, you know, mm-hmm. we got to discuss this more because, you know, and he's coming from the perspective of, you know, I'm in, you know, engaged in the Jewish community and the Jewish community doesn't believe this. I mean, the Jewish mm-hmm. community is believes in some kind of theistic evolution. And this is mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the Genesis, is, it just tells us why we're here. It doesn't tell us how we got here. I see. And I see it. And actually, he was more on the old earth creation side, the reasons to believe side. So he was not okay. in the theistic of, but a 6,000 year universe is like to, to a lot of Jewish people, they'll just shut you down immediately and they'll walk out the door. Uh, mm-hmm. So how we shift toward opening up the discussion and just mm-hmm. saying, hey, what do you believe is not mm-hmm. going to be easy, especially as we've all encountered with, well, we've got the flat earth people in our midst, <laughs> which is just... That's just yeah. a, a total aberration, and it's and it's 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 total absurdity. Yeah, and- that's right, and that I think gets into some of the fundamentalism. One aspect of fundamentalism I see, John, and I'd like your definition of what a fundamentalist is. But one aspect that I see it is a hyper literal reading of the Bible, and what I mean by hyper literal is going beyond even just the the words on the page, and and extrapolating things that aren't there based on your interpretation of that. Um, but John, 
and, and I think that's led to things like flat earth where they say, oh, you know, the Bible says this. Well, clearly that means the earth is flat. Well, that's not a good way to go about um, interpreting the scripture. John, fundamentalism, I've heard some people push back and say fundamentalism is just focusing on the fundamentals of our faith. I yes, want to focus it, on the fundamentals of our faith, but I don't think that's what fundamentalism is. Well, go ahead. Give, give yeah, well, thoughts. in practice, that sounds good on paper, but in practice, <laughs> what it means is this hyper literal, like uh, one of the things that dominates not all fundamentalism, but a great deal of it is, you know, yes. commitment to a King James only perspective. Oh, so, yeah. You know, this yeah. Bible was you know, good enough for King James and it was probably good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. I mean, that's the kind of thing that comes out of fundamentalism. Yeah, I don't yeah, even good. need. I don't need to look into the Hebrew or the Greek. I've got my King James, or you know, it needs to be as simple for a five-year-old to understand an English translation. And that mm-hmm. is, you know, or I think the, probably the worst thing that never gets challenged is, well, the Bible was written directly to me, you know, mm-hmm. in the twenty-first century, mm-hmm. rather yeah. than you know, we need to understand it for its original audience first, and then yep. deduce principles. Yeah. So I can tell you right now with some of the scientific things, when the Israelites were at the base of Mount Sinai, they were not concerned about matters like the speed of light. They were not concerned about uh, the shape of the planet or how it revolves around the sun or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't concerned about that. They weren't concerned about uh, the tides and the moon and all. No, they were concerned about the creative acts of this God. What does it mean for all of us to be made in this God's image? Mm. And, and what are some of the stories that we remember back in Egypt or, you know, Mm -hmm. how is this different from that? Those are the questions they were asking. Yeah. Yeah. And now we bring other questions because of scientific discoveries and scientific inquiry. And, and Mm -hmm. I, and while I don't while I don't believe the Bible's a science book, I do believe there is there are scientific concepts embedded in it that we can deduce. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think that one of I know as I move in in the future, one of the things that 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 um, that I've come to to realize is that the Bible tells us tells us what we need to know. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know, and that's where faith comes mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. You know, we we certainly know the Bible isn't a comprehensive history book. You know, it doesn't tell us all of the uh, all the things that were going on in the societies contemporary to ancient Israel. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. It tells us about how ancient Israel interacted with some of those societies, uh, but it doesn't tell us everything. That's right. Um, and 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 I think if if we can recognize that the Bible speaks of God's you know special supernatural activity occurring through ancient Israel. And then, then we can better appreciate that, okay, it tells us what we need to know, but not everything we want to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. and it, it's in that realm where those of us who are not fundamentalists have to, have to explore, okay, well, here's a, here's a matter that's arisen. The Bible doesn't directly address it. Now, mm-hmm. what, are we, what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where investigation of the natural world comes in. Um, uh, the Bible does not tell us everything we want to know. Um, and that might be things about the natural world. Uh, and and I, that's what we call science, that investigation into the natural world. So I, I think those these two can play um, a, a role together where it's not like science is at the throat of religion, because I think it addresses how the natural world works 
Um, and the Bible is less concerned about that. That hyper-literalism, uh, I, I thought of another example, John. I think it, it comes down to a lack of nuance. Here's an example. In the Psalms, the Psalms say, I think it's Psalm 19 says, in the heavens, he, God, has pitched a tent for the sun. And the sun is like a champion running his race ac- across the sky, you know, running his race and rejoicing, it says in, in Psalm 19. Now, if you take that without any nuance, a hyper-literal translation of that, if you will, or, or interpretation of that would be, oh, first there is a tent in the heavens for the sun. And the sun is literally running across the sky every day and like a champion and rejoicing. The sun is rejoicing. But that's not the point that the author was trying to convey. We understand that the Psalms, looking again at, at nuance here, the Psalms are partly poetic. That's and correct. I think he's using poetic language to describe what he's seeing. It, it's not describing how the universe works. It's not like, oh, the sun works because God has put a tent for the. No, no, no. It's, it's not about that. And so I think that sort of fundamentalism that leads to this hyper-literal reading of the scripture leads us into all kinds of wacky ideas. That could be flat earth. It could be like, oh, there literally is a, a um, oh, what do they believe? A that, Like there's uh, some of the flat earth folks think there is a, um, what's the word I'm they looking They believe in a, in over. a, well, right now, I the, the latest one that I heard is that they really do believe that planet earth is just a, a terrarium there is uh-huh. a flat yeah. firmament that sits over firmament planet, that's a, the word a, fa- a flat for. dome that sits over th- this planet yeah. and the stars are locked in this dome they're not even yeah, they're what we could, would there. consider yeah. stars yeah. yeah so i mean that's uh, that's so i think that's what they believe now and mm-hmm. uh, you know, people hear that and they're like you're crazy and they and they leave right right <laughs> and they yeah. and they dismiss and- them yeah, and so that's that's an example of the fruit of fundamentalism. It's a hyper-literal reading of the scripture that leads to conclusions that the Bible's authors, and I think God did not intend for us to reach, um, leading to division, leading to brokenness in our movement, leading to people um, leaving our movement or even leaving faith altogether. So these are some of the problems of fundamentalism. John, one thing I wanted to address is what are some alternatives to fundamentalism? As I mentioned earlier, some some people feel fearful of venturing away from fundamentalism because they think it will lead to a kind of liberal theology where the Bible doesn't really mean anything. It's maybe it's just stories and who, who really cares? Right. And, well, this is where we have to have, this is where we absolutely have to have better studies in, uh-huh. into, into different ma- we have to have better studies we have to have a greater degree of patience uh, but above all we have to be willing to sort through details and sometimes mm-hmm. uncomfortable uh, dealing details. with nuance yeah okay okay um, yeah. you know the bible was not written directly to you in the 21st century as mm-hmm. great as some of our english translations are there are things that we can only better understand by going into the original Hebrew or the original Greek. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, uh, it was over 10 years ago now, uh, there was a resource that circulated in the Messianic community where the author, who will remain nameless to protect the innocent, 
uh, was quoting a verse, and he said from the English, this verse is irrefutably simple. And I thought to myself, that's ridiculous. There's nothing in theology that's irrefutable. Now, if you said this was straightforwardly simple, you'd still be wrong. But when you say a term like irrefutably, that means you've got an agenda. It suggests also that he hasn't engaged with other viewpoints. Right. Or that we don't even perhaps possess the skill set to, well, what are some of the possible other points of view here? Ah, mm -hmm. And and that's something that, you know, a lot of people based on the way much of today's messianic community has operated, it just doesn't do. But yet we have to do this, especially in matters of messianic prophecy. How do we believe Yeshua fulfilled these things? Mm -hmm. You know, is our interpretation so out there of, a particular you know, messianic pro- I, I remember a number of years ago reading a book called Why the Jews Rejected Jesus by author David Klinghoffer. And he said something to the effect that uh, I, the approach of the New Testament to messianic prophecy is not that irregular to the rabbis of the contemporary time. In fact, the rabbis offer mm-hmm. usually uh, even more odd or even more eclectic interpretations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this whole thing about, uh, you know, you know, approaching a controversy, approaching a, a passage where, you know, there are debates and saying, okay, well, there's interpretation A, interpretation B, interpretation C, and this is why I have actually chosen interpretation D. Uh, that mm-hmm. is, that's, that's a very important moving forward mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. that means not only are we keeping the Bible relevant but it demonstrates that we are trying to engage with the Lord who gave us these texts and with reason. Uh, and we're trying to you know, adequately defend our faith and defend our convictions. Yes. Uh, so, yes. you know, like, like I know, uh, I mean, this is a huge, I mean, you know, when, when people from the millennial generation indeed end up fully taking over the messianic movement, we're going to be in a very different movement than what you and I grew up in. Interesting. We're going to be in a very, very different movement. (laughs) Uh, Yes, you're going to have some people who are much more engaged with biblical studies. Uh, But like, for example, I mean, you bring up Genesis 1 through 11 and, you know, the different approaches, young, old, theistic evolution, all of this. Yes. There are people who I am related to uh, in my extended family. And if you ask them, you know, just point blank, I mean, this is something we can't even, today's messing can't even go there. But mm-hmm. certainly a position of people I, I know in my extended family, people in the Jewish community, if you ask them, just, you know, do you believe that humankind is the only civilization in the universe? Mm-hmm. They will immediately say, oh, no. I mean, there are others. God has have, created have other civilizations. Life, life elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know what their story is, but we're not the only story. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. In today's Messianic community, if you ask that of anybody, they'll say, oh, anything else is just demons. It's just right. demons. It's right, just right. Nephilim, it's demons. demons. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, of course, maybe we would come to, we after reviewing everything, we might come to that conclusion. Mm. But do you just want to dismiss all these people who believe that off the back mm. of your hand? Mm. Or do you okay. want to say, okay, well, how'd you come to that? If you're just watching too much Star Trek, um, you know, is that how you came to this conclusion? You watched, uh, you know, Revenge of the, you know, you watched too much Star Wars, uh, mm-hmm. or are, are, did you really come to that conclusion because the universe is really big and it's a yeah. lot of wasted space otherwise? 
and right, right, yeah. and how would yeah. these other stories work compared to our story, and how would these other stories work when it when it's clear that Yeshua, at least the Redeemer mm-hmm. of humanity, um, in his resurrected form at the right hand of the Father, is human. Uh, so, mm-hmm. how does that work? Uh, yeah. You know, these are the kinds of things that are on the horizon, and and and. Uh, you know, I've I've watched uh, things from the Jewish community, especially as certain things get declassified and UFOs and all this. And and these are Orthodox Jews, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I believe." You know, we're not the only ones here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not as though these are just societal questions out there, and you know, we just argue with with them with our family members when we you know have dinner together. No, these are going to be issues that affect the Jewish community, and yeah. and I don't know mm-hmm. how ready we are for them. Yeah, certainly if we do, if life is discovered elsewhere, whether it's microbial life or complex right. life, it would be, it would, it would change humanity forever. It would, it would be a, one of the greatest discoveries of all time. And certainly people of faith, it would raise questions for us. Questions like, okay, uh, did God create this life elsewhere? And why didn't God tell us about it and about things like that? Right, it would people, certainly raise questions. Yeah, yeah, people will be will be severely ch- if 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 that were to happen, and and yeah. I think these are the things that uh, we just can't. Oh, you know, we we can't just react you know, half cocked the way we have on so many okay. things. And and I know that you know so many of the baby boomer leaders. I mean, they had so much going against them: the rejection mm. from their Jewish families, yeah. the rejection from the church. Yeah. They were going, you know, hand to mouth financially. Uh, mm-hmm. They, it was, it was very much cause and effect, cause and effect. But at the same time, you know, God through us, when you think about the things that are going to come in, in the last days and what society is going to throw at us, there were a number of softballs thrown at us like, okay, well, what do you do about the whole two house issue and the lost tribes? I mean, mm-hmm. we still don't have the fair minded resolution on that as we ought to. You know, yeah, what do you do agreed. about this one law issue and you know one statute you know in for this native mm-hmm. and the sojourner in uh, ancient Israel's jurisprudence? What do you do about that? We mm-hmm. don't have fair-minded resolution on that. Yeah, yeah, that's and, true. It's and, interesting you refer to those as softballs because they were so such big issues in the day, and they, they still were. are issues today. <laughs> they were, and now um, for whatever reason, you know, we're going to have young people who say, "Oh yeah, I believe in aliens." You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, if and again, it's like, well, do, were you just watching too much Star Trek or is this is it a sincere conviction that you have come to based on the data? And and and, and if we're going to be effective in our re, in our outreach for the good news, how do, do do we engage with these people by shutting them down or do we start, you know, OK, well, what do you well, what about this and what about that? And how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah. I'll tell you, John, um, I, it seems to me, my, my approach to this has been one of, it's, it's an interesting question. If there is life elsewhere, <clears throat> it's going to be huge, as I just said. But also, if the other is true, if the inverse is true, suppose there isn't life anywhere else. This also raises interesting questions. Right. How can it be that life is just, I mean, there's a whole scientific um, theory not theory, there's a scientific idea devoted to this Fermi's paradox was called is like, how can the universe be so large, but life only here? What's that doesn't make sense. Why is that even a thing, especially coming from an atheistic point of view of, well, if life just 
appears out of nowhere. Surely it must appear out of nowhere in other places too, in other planets. So yeah, there are these questions. For me, it's an interesting question. I think what we're getting at though, isn't- Yeah, you have to I just want to briefly interject. Yeah. Um, I, I have always believed that, because some people think, well, when Yeshua returns, that's when we're yeah. going to be following the right calendar. And that's when all these things about meat and dairy are going to be, and we're finally have, no, 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 no. The, when yeah. Yeshua returns and, and he is in Jerusalem reigning over this planet, the real mm-hmm. questions that are going to be finally answered is, why is the universe so vast? And, yeah, you know, right. that, those are going to be the questions that get that really get answered. Um, yeah, that's right. Know, that's these right. are the, the question of our place in this whole cosmic sphere, because we do see in the Holy Scriptures, you know, that Yeshua's work affects the redemption of the cosmos, whatever that is. And I think we're finally mm-hmm. going to be when he returns, we'll finally have answers to these kinds of really yeah, big fascinating questions. So I think in this area, as well as others, including young earth creationism and elsewhere, I'm not saying we have to believe a certain way, but we have to be less rigid. And I think that's what we're in agreement here, John. Would right. you say that's really the problem is this kind of rigidity where conversation is is shut down if it's not according to these minor things that ultimately are minor, that are not salvation things. Right. That conversation gets shut down, and that's that's kind of part of the fundamentalist um I don't know, heritage we've, we've, we've brought into the Messianic movement. Um, okay, John, I, I did want to comment when I asked you, like, what are some alternatives to this fundamentalist thinking where everything's rigid, everything's hyperliteral? Um, you said, hey, look, one of the antidotes to that is be more into study. And I, I'm glad you said that because I had the same note. Um, actually, I had kind of two notes that go along with that. And, and, and I, I just want to underline that because it's easy to gloss over and say, yes, we should study more, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, let me go back to life. No, no, no. Listen, the more I learn things, and this goes for whether it's technology for me or, or theology, um, it, really any aspect of life, family, like all, all aspects of life that I've experienced, the more I learn the more I realize I don't know stuff. And I think sometimes a lot of the fundamentalist thinking is like, hey, I just read this thing. I must know it. And it's like, no, 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 actually you don't. Just wait. Like you're you're on this high point of you think you know it. Just engage, read, read a little more, engage with some other viewpoints. And suddenly your confidence level is going to go like down into this trough. And the, and the reason is you realize that, oh, I didn't consider this nuance. Oh, I, I didn't even think about this when I formed my original opinion. And so what, I, what I'm getting at is more study, um, both of scripture and then of, um, of, of the rich heritage of Jewish and Christian scholarship that we have available to us in the messianic movement. You know, previous generations didn't have the access that we have. You know, when we talked about the baby boomers, uh, they came into technology and the internet man, we, this next generation has born with access to easy access to this rich heritage of scholarship available through the web and through different academic uh, resources that were very difficult to access in previous years, very limited access, now wide, broad access, especially through the internet. Um, So I think more reading of, of both the scripture, more study of the scripture and study of Jewish and Christian scholarship around the scripture would do so much. It would so greatly help um, ease our rigidity and and perhaps ease us, wean us off of that fundamentalist uh, thinking. 
I would also say to too many folks in our movement, and this goes with what I just said, too many folks in our movement, um, they spend almost all their time, not in books, not in the scripture, but in 24 hour news and social media. Um, I'm not saying don't do social media. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm not saying don't, don't turn on CNN or Fox news, but I'm saying those things can be toxic and, and, to be honest, I've seen a lot of bad fruit come from that. Like I've even pondered like, man, maybe I should just turn off. I should stop using Facebook because it's been kind of toxic for me and has caused like lots of bad fruit. And sometimes things I say things I'm not proud of later. So I guess what I'm saying is let's shift away from some of those things. If you spend most of your time in social media on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, if you spend most of your time watching Fox news, CNN, MSNBC, um, if you spend your time in that more than in the word, more than in um, study of the word, whether that's Jewish or Christian scholarship, um, man, I, I, I think I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you're just going to end up with a lot of bad fruit. You're going to be angry at all the stuff you see on the news. You're going to be angry about stuff people are posting on Facebook. I know because I've done it. Uh, I've, I've made that error too. Um, I think we could do better as a movement to kind of shift away from some of those things and get back to more study of the scriptures and of scholarship around the scriptures. All right. That's what I just wanted to add. So it goes along with what you said, John, that's one all, you know, one way to move us out of the fundamentalist um, problems that we're, we're having in our movement. Um, John, I would like to move on to um, number three in our outline, the out of touch nature of our movement oftentimes, but before I do, is there anything else you wanted to add with regards to fundamentalism? No, I think you covered it all. I really do. Great. Great. Yeah. So I I hope we can. And you know, look, it it starts with us. Like for me, it's like, I need to do more study. I need to spend more time in that than on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook. (laughs) So I, I, I'm preaching to myself, I guess is what I'm saying, but I, I think the movement could, could do the same. All right. Out of touch. So, John, when we've when we talked about doing this show, one of the things you raised was the messianic movement today that we've inherited from the boomers. In many ways, is failing to deal with issues that are relevant to the modern generation. I know we've touched briefly in this show on some of those things. Um, Genesis one through eleven might be one of them. In what other ways do you see that we're failing to deal with issues relevant to the modern generation? Well, I think a lot of a lot of people are, you know, they see, you know, for example, and, and this is something that, that comes up with, with me personally, it comes up with my sister Jane. Uh, like, you know, what do you do with the fact that a lot of like over uh, over a, a solid third, I think it may, you know, between, you know, 30 to 40% of millennials in their late twenties to early forties are single. Now what's the problem with, with them? Um, You know, the messianic community, you know, if we weren't called into this by God would not be very relevant to people like me because uh, God is only concerned about married couples. He's not concerned (laughs) about single people. Uh, Mm. God only uses, you know, married couples, you know, what's your problem? And, and, you know, when you're Mm. in a very small movement, it's like, look, I'm not just going to get married because somebody else wants me to, it's got to be something that benefits me. It's got to be something that benefits my sister. It's got to be something that benefits Mm. us. Yeah. And, 
you know, we need to feel like our needs matter to people in leadership. And this is something that uh, evangelicalism, I would say, does rather well uh, because they recognize, hey, you know, there are economic issues out there. The divorce Mm. rate is over 55 percent. You know, single people don't need to be unnecessarily put off to the corner and treated as though there's some pariah. Uh, but <laughs> right, you know, the messianic right. community just doesn't really know what to do about it. And, and that's mm. something that, that is, that's unfortunate, uh, especially if we like to say, well, we're following the example of Yeshua and we believe Yeshua is, is central in all things. Yes. So guess what? Yeshua's singleness is, is also something that, you know, a lot of us have to look to. That's and, fair. Yep. And this is kind of correction for me too. Um, at my congregation, and sorry to interrupt there, John. I just no, want to fine. interject. Um, at my congregation, I did have two different folks um, come to me and say, "You know, you're always talking so highly of married people and the benefits of marriage. And all this. What about us single people?" And there were some single people at the congregation, and I, I thought, "Oh, okay. You know, I'm not." trying to leave them out but yeah maybe maybe i am and hearing you say the same thing yeah you know what you're right and and this is a trend we're seeing in society where um more and more people are either putting off marriage or not getting married at all uh so yeah perhaps there there can be there there needs to be more done um to move us off of this idea that god only uses married people yeah, marriage is great. It's beautiful, but it's also not for everybody. Um, so we need to recognize that. So thank you for raising that. Yeah, But that's something that comes as a direct consequence of being fundamentalist. Mm, interesting. How because, do you, how do you and, see that? And, 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 and I think the other thing about you know, fundamentalists that, that, that we don't probe enough is yeah. you know, fundamentalists like to conclude that the Bible is written directly to me. Yeah. Right. Rather than, mm. you know, no, it's written. It's not written directly to you. It's written to not just the ancient Israelites, but other sectors of ancient society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to best understand their circumstances in order to properly deduce the scriptures. Yes, but when yes. we don't follow an ideology of, 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 a, of, I need to put myself into the position of other people in order to best communicate the good news. Yeah. That's when certain, that's when various important sectors out there get forgotten and they leave. Mm-hmm, you know, so mm-hmm. in the I messianic see. movement, you know, we consciously, I think, have to consider the position of the Jewish people we're trying to reach with the good news. It's why we mm-hmm. say Yeshua and not Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's why we say Messiah and not Christ. Sure. Uh, but yeah. then beyond that, you know, you look at it, your local congregation, you look at, at the people you're interacting with, and what do we need to be doing better? What mm-hmm. do we need to be keeping in mind because you know yes i have my experience and you've got your experience and sometimes we have to preface our words with look this is what i have seen this is what i have encountered but we have to remember not everyone has had the same experiences or, or gone through the same things that we have gone through um mm-hmm. you know i don't want to dumb things down when i communicate uh but at the same time you know i'm affected by having a religious studies education so i i've got to communicate uh, at a certain level to make sure that I get the points across that I want to get across. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of people, you know, they're so consumed with it's about me and it's about, you know, my needs. And they forget that there are, there are diversity of needs out there. 
Um, There are diversity of perspectives out there that you encounter in a Congress and in the Messianic community, which is so broad and so diverse. It's like, this should be second nature to us, but it often isn't. Yeah, fair enough. John, with regards to marriage, do you think that some of the polygamy also that we've seen in the past decades, past decade or two, as well as recently, has that also kind of been born out of this fundamentalist thinking? Well, I think that one of the, one of the most difficult things that we will have to reckon with in the future involves our approach to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, approach yes. to the patriarchs. Okay. And we have this idealized view of them sometimes, mm-hmm. that, you know, like, well, you know, Abraham is the father of faith. Yes, he is. That's Hebrews 11. But at the same time, Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Abraham and his family still had Mesopotamian paganism going on in their tents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The The fact that Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham. That's a direct consequence of Mesopotamian paganism. Let's not Uh, get around that. mm. Uh, There was a point in the, life of Jacob. And this is after his two wives, the two concubines, where he had to tell the people in his, you know, uh, you know, local community, you know, his extended family, all the servants, get the idols out. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you look at the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, I remember uh, being asked off to the side, uh, when we were having a Torah study and we saw that Judah, your namesake, uh, he contracted with a prostitute. Uh, and of course, that was later tomorrow. So what does this teach us about believers contracting with prostitutes? And I'm like, <laughs> that is not in the Holy Scriptures as something to be repeated. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this idealized view of the patriarchs yeah. rather than, yes, you know, the, the one God of creation was able to communicate to them and call them out of Mesopotamia, but there were still things going on that were not good. Yes. When the ancient Israelites were pulled out of Egypt, just to look at the mess that Moses had to contend with for 40 years. They, you know, Moses is up on the mountain. They're not even, you know, six months out of Egypt and mm-hmm. they think he's dead. And all of a sudden, what do they do? They create a golden calf. Mm-hmm. How in the world would they have known how to do that? Because back in Egypt, they were engaged in all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, they were involved yeah, the in all that stuff. Egypt, yes. uh, so let's not forget how there are certain scenes in the scriptures, which are conditioned by the circumstances. There are certain laws given in the Torah or Pentateuch that, oh my goodness, you know, they came out of Egypt with this paganism. What do we do with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, and, and, and a lot of people don't understand that. Um, and they, and, and they, and they think that, you know, that is ideal, you know, without that, we wouldn't have the 12 tribes. No, in spite of that, we've got Mm. the 12 tribes. I mean, God Mm. was ready to wipe out the 12 tribes and start over with Moses. That's right. Remember he told, he, you know, God told Moses, your people who you led out of Egypt have done this thing. And then God says, no, wait a second. No, your people who you let out. <laughs> I love that. I love that interaction. And so, scripture. Yeah. yeah, you have to remember sometimes when, when God, you know, uses that emphatic possessive pronoun yours, it's to focus on the negative activity that people are doing. Mm-hmm. But it's in spite of that, 
uh, because as Moses you know, says, look, your people who you let out and what, what would it be if you, know, you sent, brought these people into, into the wilderness to die? What kind of a testimony would that be for the Egyptians who, who will hear of this? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we are not dealing with the best of circumstances in the Holy Scriptures. We're dealing with human beings at their worst sometimes. But in spite of it, God's grace, God's mercy, God's promises remain true. And we are here today because of this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, one of the difficulties I know we have sometimes, uh, particularly we deal with Hebrew roots people around the time of Purim, it's like, mm-hmm. no, wait a second, Purim's, you know, that's, oh, you know, they added this to the scriptures. We shouldn't be commemorating uh, the deliverance of the Jews uh, in the Persian Empire. Why are you doing this? Uh, and besides, if the Jews were wiped out, God would have found another way. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. If mm-hmm. the Jewish people, you know, the of the of the diaspora the southern kingdom if they were wiped out that means that god's promises to bring a messiah and all of this those are lies this god can't be trusted to have a a some kind of chosen people that he is still keeping around for these promises to be fulfilled we can't rely on this god Yep, I've often talked to folks both with Purim and Hanukkah about exactly that, that God chose to preserve the Jewish people to make good on his word for other reasons too, but to make good on his promises that he made to Israel. Otherwise, God's a a promise breaker and a liar. So yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, Okay, so basically you're saying with regards to that question, the polygamy question born out of fundamentalism, oftentimes what you're saying, oftentimes... Uh, we almost idealize the patriarchs. And what you're pointing out is, look, the patriarchs, as well as every human figure in the Bible, um, had their flaws, had their sin. God worked in spite of that sin, um, worked within the culture that they were already a part of, and God did that. So we can't conflate God doing a good thing with the the sin, the culture, the paganism of the patriarchs and of these other figures in the Bible. And too often we, we do conflate the two and that can lead to erroneous conclusions like the conclusion that God promotes or even commands polygamy. Is that a fair summation? Yes, and this, this is ultimately where I believe and I know you believe and many people in the Messianic community believe. Um, and I know a lot, I know most people in the Messianic community, they think polygamy is just really that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. it mm-hmm. didn't work out for King David. I mean, you had the yeah. the rape of one of his daughters and these subfamilies yeah. and the and the succession crisis and King Solomon. That pretty much answers it for me. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, when we attest that Yeshua says, "I came to fulfill the Torah and the prophets." Yes, he came to fulfill you know certain prophetic expectations, but he also came to fulfill it via his definitive interpretation and application and Mm -hmm. that is where we turn to for okay there are these debates and it's important that we go through it but what does yeshua say and do we really believe that his interpretation and application of moses's teaching is final Uh and 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 i would say yes and you would say Mm -hmm. yes and other people i know would say yes Mm -hmm. Uh, and his interpretation of that, he, he says in the Gospels, in the beginning, it was not so. It was one man and one woman, and that is the ideal. So, yeah, right. yeah. And then his disciples ask, well, is it even advantageous to marry? 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he, and so rather yeah. than taking it in the polygamous direction, he takes it in the opposite direction. Yeah, isn't so, that fascinating? Um, mm. You know, this is, you know, we have a lot of, 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 of interesting things. And, and I know people, a lot of people are actually on our side on these different matters, but they don't mm-hmm. like, I, I think that one of the things that the baby boomers had to deal with because I know a, a number of, of years ago, I had a, a discussion with uh, Paul Lieberman, who who is one of the you know significant pioneers of the Messianic Jewish movement, and he yeah. said, you know, yeah, you know, ministry isn't hard. It doesn't mean isn't easy. It's very hard. Uh, you know, a lot of people in, in, in ministry they flame out, and in the Messianic community we all go hand to mouth. We go month to month, month to month, mm-hmm. and. So, so many uh, people are, you know, they, they are in that cause and effect mode and they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to be sure. controversial. They, sure. they can't disrupt the monthly offerings or the donations. And so these kinds mm. of things, they just don't get discussed. Yeah, but now, unfortunately, because of our electronic age, because people mm-hmm. can access information instantaneously, yep. we have to deal with this whole gamut of flat earth polygamy on one side to well, I believe in aliens and humankind's not the only story. I mean, we're going mm-hmm. mean, that's what that is what is presented before us mm-hmm. um, today and mm-hmm. it is and what are we going to do? Are we just going to well, I don't want to cause controversy. I'm just going to go talk and have another message about love your neighbor as yourself and you know, Yeshua doing this for us or are we going to say all right, you know, we are in a battle for the souls of men and women and we have to understand what their worldview is and have them tell us whether or not this good news that the God of Israel offers is good news to them or is just something that they can take or leave. Yeah. Good. Good. John, is there a, is there a um, tension here between what we're advocating for is, is less fundamentalism and less rigidity on one hand, on the other hand, we are seeing questions about things like flat earth um, and polygamy. Is there a tension there? Because we're, we're on one hand saying, hey, let's not be so rigid. On the other hand, we're saying, we have some serious problems in our movement because people have raised questions like polygamy and the shape of the earth. Is there a tension there? Are we, are we um, well, self-defeating? Every, every one of us is going to have our positions. Every okay. one of us is going to have the things that we hold true. But holding to some of these rigid positions like flat earth or polygamy and not being able to openly discuss and offer an alternative in the Mm -hmm. long run will not bode well for our credibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because this is some, these are things where we, if we let it go on, we are standing against centuries of historical Jewish and Christian thought. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, are we going to, are we going to regress back to this, you know, simple medieval way of doing things, or are we going to move forward and address actually the issues that are keeping a lot of people away from God and, and his word? Yeah. So it does take addressing some of these issues. I would even argue it does, it will take addressing some of the silliness <clears throat> in our movement, including flat earth, unfortunately. But yeah, um, I know, yeah. I know that uh, I remember years ago uh, in 1996, so mm-hmm. we were barely a year into the messianic movement and 
you know, my mother, you know, being from Annapolis, Maryland, she had a lot of Jewish friends. And of course they were all liberal and progressive and all this. And she just expected going to uh, Baruch Hashem in Dallas that, you know, a lot of the Jewish believers were going to vote for Bill Clinton because, you know, Jewish people are Democrats. And I mean, that's just, that's just the natural expectation. And and she figured, you know, sooner or later, I'm going to, you know, we're going to encounter a messy Jewish experience, more progressivism and this and that. And actually we didn't, which was a huge shock. Mm. Uh, and yeah. and that's that and and that's where okay no I don't want you know the Messianic community to be blatantly you know left wing politically or left wing socially, but actually the fact that a lot of those left wing matters really don't even get any like well what do we do with this kind of question yeah. that's 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 shocking that yeah. that that is shocking because that isn't very Jewish. What happens, John, when we don't address these issues? We've given a few examples of the issues that you know, cause us to be out of touch. The fact that we re- really don't address uh, questions about the age of the earth, um, questions of science. Um, we've talked about the possibility of life elsewhere, also a scientific question. And really these issues have not been addressed, um, whether in our congregations or just in the movement in general. What happens when we don't? Like, what is the downside of not addressing these issues? I have something in mind, but I want to hear. Right. Well, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. Um, When parents and or religious leaders do not talk about the birds and the bees with the young people. (laughs) Okay. okay? When they don't talk about sexuality with the young people or they assume, Mm -hmm. you know, the youth group leader, oh, the kids are getting it at home. The parents they're getting it at, at church or their congregation. You know, mm. you know, they they make the assumption that that well, I don't have to talk about sex because some somebody else, another trusted person is talking about sex, mm. and yet nobody's talking about it. That's when the world will step in. That's when society will step in. That's when mm. health class will step in. Now, I yeah. was fortunate enough at McKinney High School to have a health class. Uh, our, our teacher, great guy. He uh, had once played for the Seattle Seahawks, actually. Uh, Coach uh, Mack, Coach Mack told our class, look, I don't know, you know, what your parents are telling you about sex. I don't know what you're hearing at church. Uh, but I can tell you this. Uh, if you don't want AIDS, don't have sex. You know, <laughs> if you don't okay. want an STD, don't have sex. Oh, and here's a movie about how bad it is. Uh, mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, at least in my case, health class said, you know, if you don't want an STD, don't have intercourse. Mm -hmm. But today when parents or, you know, spiritual authorities don't talk about this, the world will step in and, and, and and rather than saying, look, uh, don't get AIDS, they're going to instead, Hey, you need to go to this website or Mm -hmm. you need to, you know, watch this movie, you know, you need to, yeah, you know, and 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 one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden, someone's daughter comes home pregnant, yeah, and yeah. and you have a scandal on your hands, or mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden, son, uh, are you what, what's wrong? You know, do you have a problem? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, they 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 have a an STD. I mean, these are um, you know, when we don't talk about these things, the world will step in. Wikipedia will step in. YouTube yeah. will step in. That's right. Fake news will step in. No, Mm -hmm. um, you know, any of it, any of these kinds of things will step in and, and that's a problem. And, and, and so if, if we don't talk about these matters in a fair and reasonable way, 
someone else will step in. And I know with, with, with the way yeah. I was raised, and, and this might be different than the way other people were, were raised. Um, my sister and I, we were told what was going on in the family. Now, we may not have been exactly told all the finer details, but you know, when my father got cancer, uh, we were very much informed about you know, how bad this could be. And mm-hmm. what some of the things were uh, to the point where even after he died, um, we were intimately involved in the in the affairs of the funeral. I, I remember going to the casket showroom. My mother doesn't. She had that all blacked out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was because my own father, you know, his mother died uh, very tragically, um, you know, unexpectedly on the golf course at, at 41. She dropped dead of a heart attack mm-hmm. and he was totally sheltered from the funeral, all that experience didn't didn't go to it and so he grew up not remembering his mother because of it oh wow and and we Mm -hmm. didn't want and my parents didn't want that to happen they said said you need to just know everything that's going on and Mm -hmm. and i bring that same ideology to these controversial matters um you know we have to we have to talk about it because if we don't the wrong people will yep that's right and they will and they will take you know, young people or even older people, and they they will see that they are removed from the faith, and we don't want that. Yeah, um, I, and I 100% agree from experience. Um, at my previous con- uh, congregation, before I moved out of the state, um, there was a person who believed in flat Earth, and I I thought, you know what? If I don't talk about it, it's just going to go away. I'm going to hope this goes away because what a ridiculous thing to even consider. Like I just don't even want to. I'm embarrassed that someone believes it. That's how how I felt about it. And I we didn't address it until what we saw was that person went to another person who went to another person. Pretty soon we had multiple people in the congregation believing flat Earth and talking about it at the Oneg table with guests. It always happens in the Oneg. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And so we we realized how bad it got. It got to the point where myself and another leader had to stand up in front of the congregation and address it. And what it, it showed to me is like, if you don't address these things, um, they kind of fester. And so it's like you, you have to discuss them. You, you have to explain why it is you believe a certain way, even um, otherwise. Uh, yeah, as you said, other people will fill the gaps. Speaking of which. Um, one of the other points I wanted to raise, John, is when we don't address these issues, you mentioned that, well, the world will address the issues then. And do you really want the world, secular people, atheist people, do you want those folks addressing these issues? And it, it made me think about this. Uh, I wonder if some of the moral issues of our time are being addressed by the secular world because the religious world has not addressed them at all, whether it's the messianic movement or broader Christianity in general. Some examples, social justice movement. Um, this is a big thing. It's um, very popular among young people, especially young progressives. I live out here on the West Coast. Nearly all my coworkers feel this way about social justice. It's a very progressive movement. Um, this idea also birthed out of that is this woke idea, you know, are, are you woke or are you blind and sleeping to what's happening? Like you have to be woke to the social justice issues of our day. Black lives matter as well. Um, These, these movements are championed really by secular people um, by and large. I I understand there's some uh, religious, but by and large, it's, it's secular people. Um, heck, even BLM, some of the leaders of Black Lives Matter are are um, have are self-described Marxists, <laughs> and, 
And so I, I wonder if some of these moral issues of our time, what do you think about this, John? Are some of the moral issues of our time being led and championed by secular people because religion has been so out of touch with the current generation? To a degree, yes, that is correct. And and one of the things that I have encountered as I've gotten older is, particularly as I've seen how people have handled some very small controversies, they never want to admit that the other side raises one or two legitimate points. <laughs> That's so now, human nature. Yeah. Now, it's not to say we necessarily agree with, you know, progressive social justice or Black Lives Matter Marxism. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we never want to admit that, you know, yes, they raise some legitimate points that mm-hmm. we've got to address. No, mm-hmm. it's either our way or the highway. Yeah. And and, and that that's a problem. That, that, again, that yeah. that's that's rigidity. That's fundamentalism. Like I know when you know, you know, like one of the big controversies that I, I had to encounter in seminary was you know women in ministry. And, you know, a lot of people in the Messianic community, you know, this issue is solved. I don't need to read it. I don't need to read any of the literature. This is just compromise, you know, feminism, all of this. And, and one of the main thing, one of the main questions is not, okay, well, yes, God uses women and you've got, you know, prophetess in the, you got in the scriptures, you've got, you know, female deacons, you've got a female apostle. The, 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 the real issue is not, does God use women? The issue is, well, why are all these female pastors super liberal? And, you know, because they didn't start out that way. Um, mm. And actually the answer is it's because conservatives pushed them away. Ah, That's mm, the real mm. answer. Conservatives wow. pushed them away and they wouldn't listen to what their concerns were. They wouldn't mm. hear them out. Mm-hmm. They, they made up their minds. They said, you know, I'm going to defend my turf. I'm going to defend, you know, my reading of the scriptures and, and rather than engage and try to figure out, well, where are you coming from on this? And how do you interpret this passage? No, they just pushed them away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the story of the late Rachel Held Evans, if you remember her at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah cause also, because she, she was raised in a very fundamentalist background, very, you okay. know, hyper young earth and, and mm-hmm. you know, very patriarchal. And, and when she died, she had gone more, she had definitely gone to theistic evolution and she had gone into, you know, favoring homosexual marriage and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and I think a lot of it had to do with the hyper conservatives pushed her away. Fascinating. This may have happened just recently too. I don't know all the details, so I could be mistaken, but I know Beth Moore, who was associated with the Southern Baptist uh, group um, also recently broke ties with that group. And I wonder if it's the same thing, you know, pushing away female ministers, female leaders due to that rigidity. And it can happen with any issue. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it yeah. can, yeah. but these yeah. are the kinds of things that we, you know, how do we, I mean, if we're going to push people away, let it, it needs to be for some, for, for some, you know, really heinous act. Mm-hmm. And it has to be because these people are not teachable and they, and we can't engage with them that well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and certainly on social media, we encounter that all the time. You know, yeah. I've got to delete this comment or I've got to do this, or I've got to do that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, people need to watch their communication style because I know that right now there, there are you know, like one of the big issues 
that is dividing the faith community is, you know, what do we do with COVID-19 and the whole vaccine deal? Sure. And you've got some very strong opinions, people who are strong, you know, we, you got to be vaccinated. Others, it, you know, this vaccine is the mark of the beast. Other people are like, look, um, I'm kind of skeptical and we'll just wait and see, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. regardless of what side people take, how are you going to, not push people away, but how are you going to communicate in a manner that gets you to come over to, to your side? And I think that's, that's tough. And I think that's something that many people haven't considered. So I know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people who are, you know, very much in favor, very much against, and they haven't necessarily been communicating, you know, well, I want you to come over and consider my perspective. You know, no, they, they have raised the drawbridge, uh, they mm-hmm. they've got the boiling oil ready to pour on you and uh, and, mm-hmm. and they're not trying to facilitate, you know, just some honest discussion and friendly discussion. And no, yeah. I don't believe it's the mark of the beast. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I know people have taken it. I know people are very hostile to taking it. Um, and look, yeah. we'll just see. OK, we'll just yeah. see. But but th- but this is a really I think relatively small matter in the grander scheme of sure. things. But but it yeah. but it does involve our communication style. It does. That's re- that's right. And to that style, it's hard to do what you're suggesting, John. I, I say that because I've been trying. Um, anyone who follows me on Facebook will will see. Oh, Judah, he's he's turned into this pro vaccine guy, um, and perhaps I've gone too far to that side. But I've really tried to. Um, to do this in a way that's not mocking or shaming people. And yet some people have said, oh, Judas shamed me because I'm an anti-vaxxer. I'm not trying to shame people. I'm, I'm, I am trying to change ideas, <laughs> uh, but it's really hard to do. Even my own uh, family said, oh, Judah came to me privately and said, oh, the way that you interacted here was totally wrong. And I, I, I felt insulted. Um, by how you communicate. So it's a really hard thing to do. It's really hard to do that. Um, and I've, I've honestly consciously tried. Um, so it is difficult. Uh, kind of circling back to this question of, John, you, you answered, hey, some of the social issues of our time, the social and moral issues of our time, part of it, yeah, has been um, it, it's been led by secular people because religious people have not addressed some of these things. That's part of it. I like what you said that it's difficult. It's human nature to be like, no, they're hundred percent wrong. And I'm hundred percent right. Right. Like that's like the default that we always go to, even though that's very rarely the case. Um, even in, on the issue of like vaccines too, it's very, I, I see no one wants to give an inch and I've, I'm guilty of that too. And I, I've, I've been trying to be conscious uh, of like, oh no, there are some good arguments on the other side. Just recently to give an example, I, I said, I'm going to what's called steel man their case. It's the opposite of straw manning a case where you state their best arguments without snark or sarcasm. Here are the best arguments from my point of view of the other side. And it helps you to kind of consider those things. Um, with regards to the moral issues, these moral issues I think many of us in religion, we don't want to, yeah, look, a lot of us who are conservatives, social conservatives, we don't want to say that Black Lives Matter folks have a point. Um, even though, I, you know, look, if we step back, we can say there are some real problems with police brutality. Um, and a lot of it has to do with um, 
people, black people. Uh, I don't know how else to say that. Some will push back and say, oh, it's because it's because those those blacks are committing crimes or running away from police. And I understand there's there's some truth to that, too. But I guess what I'm saying is I recognize that there is a problem in society today. It's okay to acknowledge that without going full Marxist here. Right. We're, <laughs> there we're, are some things in our society that need to be addressed. It's right. Okay we live in an imperfect that. world and yeah. we live in a fallen world. And, and because right. of that, mistakes, grievous mistakes get made. Yep. And how, yep, do, right. how do we in the faith community, how, how are we honest with that? And, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the thing is, when we turn to the Holy Scriptures, we see God using imperfect, flawed humans. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, you know, one of the things that I, that really keeps me very humble is how many times have, have, has the Lord protected me, has protected you from things we don't even know about? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. how many times have we been yes. protected from things we're not even aware of? And, and okay, maybe some of it is microbes that we breathe in and it just kind of like, you know, goes in one, comes out the, it, you know, how do we know, you know, when our car breaks down that we're not, you know, purposely kept from driving into a wrong, the wrong part of town? That's or, right, man, the Lord does care about us. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, when I think, think about that, it, it makes me be very humble when it comes to, okay, you know, we may not like a lot of the rioting and the looting of some of these different movements sure. and, you know, tearing down statues just indiscriminately and, and, and just doing these things, you know, without any cause for the public order, but they mm-hmm. nevertheless have a few legitimate grievances. And how do we address those things? Are we just going to ignore them, act like, no, that doesn't matter. Or are we going to address them in a reasonable and fair way? And that's not going to happen by just having another Shabbat message or Sunday sermon. Well, Jesus loves you or Yeshua loves you and look to him and then move on. That's not going to work. You have to, you have to roll up your sleeves and you're going to have to actually say, you know, we're encountering this issue in society and Mm -hmm. there, there are concerns that we've got. And so how do we find a constructive way uh, to do these matters. And, yeah. and actually the Holy Scriptures have our answers if we are willing to read and listen. Good. Very good. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the uh, just doing another, you know, simple, <clears throat> very basic teaching on the Bible isn't going to address some of these issues. And so it's not going to reach people who are deep into critical race theory or BLM and, and some of these other social justice uh, movements. Um, all right, good. Let's talk about the future of the movement, John. When we talked about doing this episode, you mentioned to me uh, that you feel the movement today currently has no real ability to handle the future. I'd like you to explain your thinking about that. Like, what do you mean? Where are we failing to address the future? Why do we have no real ability to address the future in your view? What needs to change? A few months ago, uh, we had a visit here locally from a good friend of yours, George Witten, George and his wife. Um, uh, Her name escapes. Is it, I think it's, Bot Rifka. Yeah, yes, we had the two of them. And uh, we were talking about precisely this. And, and, you know, he uh, had been, inter- you know, he interacts with people all across the Messianic and Christian spectrum. 
we've got mutual friends. Uh, it was very good. And, and uh, George and my mother, who were both from Maryland, they finally clicked. So that, mm-hmm. so that was very good. And we were talking about the future of the Messianic movement and really various congregations which have no succession plan uh, when it's time, it really is time for the main leader to retire or God forbid uh, expire (laughs) Um, because regardless of what people believe or do not believe about COVID, many of these leaders are not in the best of health in their late sixties or early seventies. And COVID is just something that could push them over the edge. Um, And, and so naturally, you know, um, with some of these congregations, uh, you know, there are messianic congregations that have been closed for the past year because their leader is in such bad physical health mm. that you know they're concerned about this or that. And so, uh, asking this, you know, what are what are the, what are we gonna where are we gonna be in five to ten years? Are we gonna lose a, a lot of congregations because their leader, sadly to say, drops dead? There's no succession plan, and the and the, mm. the sheep get scattered, and they end up in some kind of unofficial home fellowship or they go go back to church and go back to the synagogue what's it going to be and and george's answer was very straight and simple he said look a lot of these people they came from the jesus movement and they mm-hmm. were expecting to be raptured by now mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they wow. were expecting the end times to come down and <laughs> interesting and i mm-hmm. said you know i hate to say it but one of the things that i have witnessed as a as a consequence of covid a consequence of these questions you know, is, the, is the vaccine the mark of the beast or very or at the very least you know i can't go anywhere what is this you know it's like <laughs> this is ridiculous and they're telling yeah. me what i can do and i can't do this is america uh you know you know and and very very few people have have even taken this as a prompt a very nice gentle nudge from the lord maybe we've got to discuss prophecy a little more Mm. Very, very few people have even, they they don't even want to go there. Mm. And so Mm. calling the Messianic movement the end time move of God has been discovered as a matter of just marketing. You know, this is where you need to send your money. You know, Mm. we're the end time move of God. We need your resources to go do this or do that. Rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, if you really believed you were the end time move of God, regardless of how soon or not so soon the return of Yeshua is, everything that you would do would be to, well, we got to get as many people saved, especially Jewish people saved as we can. And how do we improve our effectiveness? So a number of these matters that we've talked about, you know, a lot of Jewish people think the Bible's fairy tales. You know, a lot of Jewish people see the Messianic community and some of its fundamentalism and are like, this isn't relevant to me. Well, yeah. how do we change some of that? How do we, mm-hmm. you know, hear their concerns and how do we improve our effectiveness? Uh, if we believe ourselves to be the end time move of God, we have to always be refining our effectiveness for the service of the good news. And I don't know how many people have that as a, as an integral part of what they're doing. Um, You know, when different controversies come out as inconvenient as they may be, two house, one law, Hebrew roots. Okay. We need resolution on this. We need resolution on that. Because and 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 hopefully in the process we can learn how to better refine our skills of understanding Holy Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, because you know what what the what society is going to throw at us is going to be a whole lot more complicated than any of that will be. Yes, that's right. You know, when you start seeing things declassified from Area Fifty One, you know from the Second World War, and you're going to be like, what? The Nazis were involved in this. And we used it for our space program. I mean, they, these are common things that are known. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, these are the kinds of things that really concern me. And yet, if we can't deal with these other, you know, very well-known biblical matters, how are we going to handle some of the matters that the world has? Yeah, yeah, good. So my closing thoughts here, John, just to kind of recap what we've discussed and maybe some paths forward. We see that one of the problems of the messianic movement is handed down to us from the boomers. For all the blessings and goodness, there are some challenges. Um, Some of those challenges include a great deal of rigidity and fundamentalism. This has manifested itself in some bad theologies, including things like polygamy and flat earth. Right. Um, We've talked about some ways to combat that in our own lives, in our own congregations, and in the movement in general. And a lot of it, I think, centers around study that if we are people who spend more time in the Bible and scholarship around the Bible, reading books about the Bible, understanding passages from a deeper perspective than just reading in English and and leaving it be, that that will help combat some of the rigidity because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Like there's now more uncertainty and you say, oh, okay, you know what? I need to allow some wiggle room in these different areas and not be so rigid and so... A fundamentalist in our thinking um, that I think will help towards this idea of a big tent messianic movement too, that we can get along despite our differences. We don't all have to believe hundred percent the same thing. It's okay. Um, we need to, ad- again, just kind of summarizing what we've discussed. We need to address um, some of these issues for so long. We have been kind of pretending that these issues don't exist. Um, acting like they don't, we don't address them. And one of the problems that comes of that is if we don't address them, then the world, the secular world, ends up addressing them. And that leads people away from not only our movement, but sometimes from God and from faith in general. Um, And we need to plan for the future. It seems like, yeah, as you said, a lot of this movement being that first generation, a lot of people perhaps felt, hey, the Lord's coming and we don't have to think that far out and yet here we are and they're in their 70s and a lot of a lot of um that generation the boomer generation the leadership is now either retiring or some of them have died already um i know i've I've mentioned back in minnesota a dear friend who has been leading the oldest messianic congregation in the united states going way back to the early 70s um, that he had a brush with covid he was in the hospital for weeks he nearly died Um, i think this, this is just a reality that, hey, we need to plan for the next generation. You know, if, if that generation is Moses, um, who's, who's Joshua coming, coming up next? And that needs to be planned for. So I think with these things, um, these are some of the challenges ahead of us that fall on us, John, and our listeners. Um, if, if you're in that next generation, that, um, that Joshua generation of the Messianic movement, so to speak. Uh, that we need to address these challenges. Yeah, and I actually, I, I prefer, and this is, this is my view as a Bible teacher, I prefer not to use the terminology Moses generation or Joshua generation. Fair enough. I prefer yeah. more to use the terminology, you know, the Exodus generation, you know, mm. and, and it really puts mm. the burden mm. of proof on the people and what some of their challenges were. Okay. Because the okay. Exodus generation uh. had a lot of challenges. Yeah, yeah, and, that's right. <laughs> and good. so much so that only two 
made it into the promised land. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good and, point, and John. Yet, All right. and, and what we commonly label as the Joshua generation is actually the conquest generation. Mm, they mm. had the job to go into the promised land to see that the idolatry of the Canaanites was rooted out, to see that this this Torah instruction delivered by Moses was implementable for the land promised to their ancestors to do to obey the Lord, to do to be sensitive to the Lord, to do the right thing, uh, as difficult as it may be, and to trust the Lord in this new frontier more than anything else. And yeah. I know that for people like us, that is extremely difficult because we've got some of the older guard that you know they don't want to handle some of these issues. We have to be very sensitive, yes, to their needs, but also to the needs of those who are our age and younger. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to see this movement only be a one-generation movement. We want to that's see right. it continue on. Continuity, that's right. And if we can't address to some of the issues that my own father was able to talk about in his Sunday school class in the 1980s, what does that tell us? That, mm-hmm. that's that not good rest yeah mm-hmm. uh, that tells us we got a long way to go and i and i think that if we are not careful and if and you know people like us you know we have to be very forgiving and understanding but we have to raise the awareness if we don't you know begin to change some things we will see matters shift overnight in a very um, radical way almost mm-hmm. because the events of the past year or so particularly with some of the fallout of election 2020, they have revealed that there is a huge gap between the baby boomers in our movement and many of the millennials, huge gap. And That's we right. were not ready for it I, I, in, in to, to know about it in such a public way. Uh, That's right. So much so that uh, I know that um, we still have people who are like, well, what are we going to do? Um, and and you know, like, like one of the biggest questions is, Okay, if, we, if you're the anti-move of God, mm-hmm. and I, I remember um, in 2019 attending a, 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 an MJA conference in Orlando, and Steve Weiler, who is a, you know, one of these Messianic Jewish pioneers back from the 60s, oh. said, you know, he believed that the Messianic Jewish movement was going to be the movement that was going to see the 144 virgin, I'm sorry, 144,000 virgins of the book of Revelation come forth. And, and of course, the big dilemma is, well, where are we going to find 144? Uh, <laughs> much less 144,000. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh. yes, yes, that might you know, be a so, problem. So, mm. so it's like, that is, the, that is a huge challenge. And, and, and I know people. Some, some people are are fidgety on. Well, are they really? You know, it's like. And and really, it, it just comes down to the impracticability almost. But but really, that is the kind mm-hmm. of challenge that exists. How are we mm-hmm. going to see this culture where people are protected from this sinfulness of the world and people uh, rely on God and 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 it's and and that that is. I think the greater challenge that exists before us than some of the previous challenges of. Well, you can still be Jewish and believe in Yeshua, and it's okay to embrace your faith heritage and Israel scriptures and, and live like Yeshua and the early believers lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be sure, there is a, a, a big challenge there between generations, and I think you touched on it with regards to even the political landscape. It's, it's going to change a lot. And look, <laughs> maybe it's worth saying publicly or just saying plainly, 
the end times move of God isn't going to be Republican or Democratic. It's not going to be conservative or progressive. It's going to be something different. And maybe we don't see that. And I think that often gets lost in the boomers messianic movement, which tends to be on that very conservative side of things. So there's a, there's a great deal of challenges, even politically. It will be much more pluralistic in terms of of the matters that it will address. I, I do know that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Any, any final closing thoughts, John? I know that you summed up quite a bit there. I did as well. Uh, any, any final things before we close? I don't believe that the boomer generation is completely finished yet. Okay. I still mm. think that there is some important work left for a number of them. And I don't think it's too late for at least some of them to publicly recognize that, hey, you know, this is what we have done and and we we couldn't foresee everything that is manifesting today. And I would just mm. like, you know, I, I, more than anything else, is like, you know, you know, we did the work that we believe that God gave us and we were humans and we made a few mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. And we hope that as more and more young people are raised up as leaders, that you can continue in what we are doing and that the things that we were unable to do, you will be able to do in at least the same tenor or spirit as we started things out. I don't want there to be this radical break as Mm -hmm. we address different matters. Mm -hmm. I instead want to be focused on, look, this is the work that God called them to do. Yes. And yes, there are some things that have to be fixed, but we are not, we should not be fixing them in the well. I'm going to correct everything that they did. And they were just a bunch of old farts and blah, 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 blah. No, (laughs) because let's not be fooled. We will make mistakes and we have already made mistakes along the way. That's right. Yeah. And, and we need to be honest about the mistakes that we have made. So we can humbly seek the Lord. And, and, and when we are prompted to fix things, when we're prompted to, change our minds or we're prompted to, I think more than anything, say new evidence has come across our path. Mm -hmm. How do we Mm -hmm. reckon with this? We will be able to do so. That's right. Very good, John. And I I, I hope a lot of messianic leaders from the boomer generation would agree. I think in principle, they would, what you just said that, Hey, continue in that spirit. What, What we were called to do, we addressed this. We were flawed. We had some issues and, and we hope the next generation continues in that same spirit um, to address the things that that generation wasn't able to do. I think that's fair-minded. I think a lot of Messianic uh, leaders from that generation would agree with that, and I, I certainly hope they would, um, so that there is that continuity, so that there isn't a, you know some radical break. Because one thing I have seen is movements that go for that radical break from a previous generation – um, have abuses worse than the previous generation, you know, I, 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 whether it's political or religious, I've seen that. Uh, so that's something we want to avoid. We just want to address some of the challenges um, that we see in today's movement. And with the Lord's help, we'll be able to do it. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed the conversation that we have had ranging from the baby boomers, the millennials, fundamentalism, alternatives. We are very much aware that we have mentioned some things that you have perhaps 
never heard met, uh, discussed hmm. or even floated out there at different uh, Messianic congregational Torah studies, Bible hmm. studies, home groups. You may have never heard a Messianic leader talk about this during a Shabbat service. Uh, you may have been told, stay away from that, or, well, we'll deal with that another day. And look, I believe that that other day is today. Uh, I don't believe we can just put things off indefinitely. There, there, there does come a point where we have to be honest and, and, and talk about uncomfortable topics, whether they are flat earth or polygamy or, or, or any of these other things that uh, we just can't you know, put off uh, and let somebody else talk about. We've got to begin to see a more open and transparent messianic culture. Yes, yes, agreed. And one of the big parts of the Messianic walk is how we can improve our effectiveness for the good news, and we don't unnecessarily see people thrust away. Uh, how do we make some of their concerns our concerns? Because that's what this is ultimately about. So mm-hmm. we hope that our conversation was helpful and constructive. You saw that we're trying to be solution-oriented, not trying yeah. to be all bitter and mean-spirited, and I'll show you that's not what this is about. That's right. Uh, we're trying to continue to build on the positive legacy of those who preceded us. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Praise God. Lest we get all prideful and arrogant and we make some really big royal mistakes in the future. Mm-hmm. We, we want to be in touch with the will of the Lord yep. and uh, we want to be a part of that conquest generation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of my co-host, Judah Hamango of the blog, Kinecti Letzion, myself, John McKee, thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, you can access uh, Judah's blog at blog.judagabriel.com. You can access my website at messianicapologetics.net. We'll see you soon with another episode of The Messianic Walk. Until then, God bless you. Uh, keep the faith, and shalom. Shalom, everyone. Bye-bye.